Thank you, musicians, singers. We appreciate your ministry tonight. Wonderful song service. I really feel there's a expectancy and anticipation for all that God is going to do, and we are believing God for good things in the upcoming revival. And I wanted to preach something to go along with the upcoming revival, and the title of my message tonight is called Preparing Our Hearts. And so preparing our hearts for what God wants to do, Isaiah chapter 64 verses 1 through 8, if you have your Bibles this evening. And God wants to put our hearts in a right place to receive from God. How many know you can sit through a revival, you can sit through a conference, uh, you can sit through a church service and be unaffected? I like the old quote by the pastor. He says, he says my sermons always benefit people. Some people leave my, my church greatly refreshed. Other people awake greatly refreshed. And so... Uh, you know, he said, whether you fall asleep or you get revived by the sermon, he says, my sermons always work with people. So uh, we don't want to be those that just fall asleep and shut out what God's trying to speak to us. You know, the study of the seven churches, the book of Revelation that we're looking at right now, but within, with, with each church, Jesus says the same phrase over and over again. He said, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And so Jesus presents us with a promise and a problem. The promise is, is, is if we put ourselves in a position to hear what God is speaking to us, our lives can be transformed, our lives can be helped, our lives can be changed, and we can adjust ourselves to what God is trying to speak to us. But the other, uh, you know, and it says with, with all those that he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And there's promises like, I will give to Eve the tree of life. I will give him a new name, which nobody knows. I'll give him the morning star. Over and over again, the different churches, uh, God gives them a promise. He says, if you have an ear to hear what I'm saying. And so the problem, though, is that Jesus can be speaking all this uh, and that we can be in a place where we're not listening or we're not hearing. You know, the, the wonderful word of God can go forth in anointing and power and people can be looking at the score of the, the Celtics and the Sixers or whoever, you know, is, is playing or your favorite team. You can be caught up and your head can be somewhere else. And so it takes an actual effort and being intentional to put ourselves in a place where we can hear from God. And that's the mindset I would like for all of us to go into this revival with is, God, I want you to speak to me. God, I want you to do something in my life. I'm looking for you to do something in my life in this revival. So let's go ahead and read Isaiah 64, beginning in verse 1. Oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence. As fire burns brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things for which we did not look, you came down, the mountains shook at your presence. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard, nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God besides you, who acts for the one who waits for him. You meet him who rejoices and does righteousness, who remembers you in your ways. You are indeed angry, for we have sinned. In these ways we continue, and we need to be saved. But we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness is a are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. 
And there is no one who calls on your name, who stirs himself up to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have consumed us because of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, you are potter, and we are the work of your hand. Hallelujah. Amen. I want to begin and talk about the worthy desire. I think all revival begins with some type of desire. The very first verse of Isaiah 64 says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down. You know, just those first two sentences, God, that you would rend the heavens and come down to us. God, we need a visitation of your spirit. And there's a revival begins with a desire in God's people to see his glory established in the earth and especially in his people. In verse 2, he says, uh, uh, to make your name known to your adversaries uh, that the nations may tremble at your presence. So he's talking about that God would make himself real. That God would make himself real to the lost. That God would make himself real to sinners. And that God, you would make yourself real to us as your church, as your people. We want God to blow our minds. We want God to do something unexpected. And that's what God does. God always does the unexpected. You know, if you ever went into a conference or went into a revival, and you, you kind of think, well, I think God's going to do this. But you know, God always blows your mind. He, like, confronts you in a way or speaks to you in a way you didn't anticipate. I didn't think I would be affected this way. I didn't think that God was going to do this. And there's something about God always surprising us. In verses 3 and 4 of our text, it says, You did awesome things. For which we did not look. You came down, the mountain shook at your presence, for since the beginning of the world, men have not heard, nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God beside you who acts for the one who waits for him. He said, You did awesome things for which we did not look. That's the God I serve. Amen. That God does things, He surprises us, He does unexpected things. And I believe that as we enter with expectant hearts, that attitude of heart that says, Oh, God, that you would come down, that you would rend the heavens and come down to your people, that you would do a work in us. When God met with Moses on the mountain and had him write again the, um, after he had broken the original tablets in anger and frustration, he spoke to Moses in the cloud and said in Exodus 34, 10 and 11, he said, Behold, I make a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as have not been done before in all the earth. Just think about that. He says, God says, I'm going to do something that's never been done before. I'm going to do something unexpected. I'm going to do something you can't anticipate. Nor in any nation, and all the people among you are uh, uh, among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I am driving out from you, uh, from before you, the Amorite, and the Canaanite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite. God says, I'm going to do things I haven't done before. It's going to be an awesome thing that I do with my people. That's the promise that God makes when he's bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt and bringing them into the promised land. He says, you haven't seen this before. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9 and 10, it's a very uh, close companion of verse 4 where it says, uh, For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard, 
nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God beside you who acts for the one who waits for him. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10 says, But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. And so one of the things the Spirit of God does in our lives is He begins to reveal the blessings and reveal the things that God wants to do in our lives. Eye has not seen. It's unexpected. It's unanticipated. Isaiah 48, 6 and 7. God says, for you have heard, see all this, and will you not declare it? I've made you hear new things from this time, even hidden things, and you did not know them. They are created now and not from the beginning. And before this day, you have not heard them, lest you should say, of course I knew them. God is saying, you know, I'm going to do something now. And he said, it's going to be unexpected. And I'm just thinking it up right now, as a matter of fact. He said, so you can't say, oh, I knew that was going to happen. I knew that guy was going to get saved. I knew God was going to do that. I knew those people were going to get filled with the Holy Ghost. I knew that person was going to get healed. I knew that. I knew that was going to happen. God says, you can't say that. He says, because I'm just thinking it up right now. He said, I made you hear new things from this time, even hidden things. You did not know them. They are created now and not from the beginning. God said, I'm just thinking it up right now. So don't, don't think you have, you know, you got this all figured out. I like that about God. Just think, he may be thinking up things for your life right now that he hasn't thought about before. Oh, man, I got a good idea about this person. I mean, God has a destiny. It's not like God's like, you know, going, that he doesn't have a destiny or plan for us. He has a general plan. But it doesn't mean that he doesn't get in, into uh, specifics, that God wants to do something, you know, unique in our lives. We'll look next to preparing our hearts. Receiving from God, and this is a blessing, does not require perfection, but requires more of a desire and a hunger for God to move in our lives, in our church, in our city, and in the world. In verse 5 of our scripture, it says, you meet him who rejoices and does righteousness, and who remembers you in your ways, you are indeed angry, for we have sinned. In these ways we continue, and we need to be saved. And so Isaiah is not writing from a place of perfection. God, we've been so good. We've been such good believers that we're asking you to move in revival. No, he's saying, God, we struggle with sin. We struggle with our problems. We don't have it all together. But we're still, still believing that you're a good God and you can help us. You can help us overcome these things that we're facing. You can help us overcome our sins. You can bring deliverance. You can bring healing. Uh, uh, you can bring restoration to our lives. They're, they're, they're not, you know, Isaiah's not praying this prayer from a place of perfection before God. He's confessing his desperate need. This scripture can speak to us on so many levels. The sinner, the backslider that needs to be saved. Could be an awareness of your sinful condition is the first step towards God saving us. How many know you've got to realize you're lost before you can get saved? 
That's, a lot, that's the trouble with a lot of people today is they don't know they're lost. You got to get them lost before you get them saved. 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26, it says, And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those things who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. It says that God would grant them repentance. You know, listen, it's a blessing when God's moving on you. Don't ever take that for granted. You know, it's when God's moving, people make the mistake, well, you know, I decided it's time to go back to church, get my heart right with God, or I decided it's time to get right. Listen, the reason, the reason you're doing that, part of that reason is because God is granting you repentance. You can't just repent anytime you feel like it. God has to grant you repentance. He has to give that to you. He has to give you a heart to want to repent. Now, you have a role. I'm not saying it's just, a, you know, this isn't some Calvinism thing where it's just, a, you know, uh, you know God, God, just, God does the whole thing. You're just like this bystander. You're like this android that God programs to be saved. That's, I don't believe that's the Bible. But the Bible does say, seek the Lord while he, is, while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Why? Because sometimes he can't be found. Sometimes he's not near. People make the mistake, well, I'll get saved down the road. You know, I'll get saved in the, after, I'll get saved in the tribulation. Yeah, good luck with that. If you can't live for God in a world that, you know, where, where Christianity is somewhat accepted, when they're lopping people's heads off and stuff for being a Christian, I don't, I'm not going to gamble on your chances then. But revival doesn't spring from Christian perfection. It's, it springs from Christian hunger. Listen to the Beatitudes when Jesus sat down and taught his disciples. One of the most important teachings of the Bible in Matthew chapter 5, 3 through 6. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Jesus didn't say... Blessed are those who have it all together. Blessed are those who are really holy. He said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. What does it mean? That God, I realize my bankruptness before you. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What that says, person that's, not, that's realizing that I'm not righteous as I need to be. You may have a measure of righteousness, but you need more righteousness. For they shall be filled. Acknowledging your need is a big step towards getting God's attention. The, you know, the, the Pharisee and the publican, you know, the publican goes in and prays, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And I thank you that I'm not like this publican right here. And the, and the publican hit himself in the chest and wouldn't even look to heaven and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said he went down to his house justified. And the other man did not go to his house justified. Why? Because this man realized his condition before God. He realized his desperation before God. See, part of hungering and thirsting for God is creating space and an attitude in our hearts to hear from God. Verse 7 of our text says, 
There is no one who calls on your name, who stirs himself, to take, stirs himself up to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have consumed us because of our iniquities. And so he's talking about an absence of people that are stirring themselves up to lay hold of God. And he's trying to stir them. He's trying to stir the people with this prophecy. Hey, begin to lay hold of God. Begin to pursue him. This means positioning our lives to hear from God. How, how are you approaching this revival? Are you going, well, another revival. I know I'm going to be tired because I have to go to work the next day. But is that going to stop you from hearing from God? Man, slam a Red Bull, whatever you got to do, triple espresso. Come, let's hear from God, man. Hey, God, God made coffee, you know, so he made it for Christians. I believe that with all my heart. Matter of fact, I, I haven't read it yet. I'm going to read it someday. There's a whole book called Caffeine, and it talked about the world before caffeine and the world after caffeine. And you would not believe the difference in our world when people discovered caffeine. And I believe God can take that. It's like, it's like that anointing for the church, man. It's like, a, so whatever you got to do, but come to church. Put yourself in a place to hear from God. You can rest when you die. You know what I mean? You can rest the end of the week, okay? I'm not trying to be hardcore about this. So we need to position our lives to hear from God. Matthew eleven twelve through 15 says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And the violent take it by force, for all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has an ears to hear, let him hear. Think about that. Jesus saying, hey, if you want the kingdom, you got you to gotta put forth a little violence. Does that mean we... You know, we, we get our, our, our ARs and our switchblade. No, he's talking about pursuing God, pursuing the kingdom of God. There's a book uh, I have on the kingdom. I did a whole study on the kingdom. may do it in a Sunday school. I'm not sure. I'm still kicking it around or Bible study at some point. But a man named Gibbon Blakely wrote this, like, 400-page book. I'm, 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 like, page 300 right now. So I am working through it. And... Uh, but it's on the kingdom of God. Very good book. Um, and um, listen to what he says. He says, The kingdom of God does not come to the, individual, to, the invid, to the individual with overpowering force. It is proclaimed by the gospel and appropriated through personal initiative. Inherit in the message of Christ was a demand for choice, decision, and determination. He announced a kingdom that directly involved the initiative and determined devotion of men. That's what he's commenting on is the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violence taken by force. In other words, Jesus presents himself to us and says, do you want this? You know, when I heard the gospel, I heard the opportunity that I could have a changed life. I said, I want that. And I realized if I wanted that, I'm going to have to pursue that. I'm going to have to make time to be in church. I'm going to have to give myself to prayer and reading the Bible, which I've never done before. It was complicated. It was clumsy at first. But I realized that if I'm going to experience the kingdom of God, I have to take it by force. 
Jesus isn't just going to come down like some, uh, I said, some android and just, you know, download everything into my life. I have to make my, put myself in a place to, to hear from him. Matthew 4, 23 through 25, it says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, uh, those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Listen to what Gibbon Blakely says. The multitudes would follow Jesus, sailed in ships to find him, crowded into houses to hear him. They crowded into synagogues, went into the desert. They stood in a plain to hear his gracious words. What did they say about John the Baptist? What did people go out in the wilderness to see? They left the trappings of the city. They left all the good things of the city. They heard about this crazy man in the wilderness that had animal skins and ate locusts and wild honey. And it says they went out into the wilderness to hear his words. So they made a conscious uh, and intentional effort to hear what John the Baptist was saying. People positioned themselves to receive and to hear from God. The parable of the sower, Matthew 13, 3 through 9 says, Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth. And, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched because they had no root. Uh, they, because they had no root, they withered away, and some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has an ears to hear, let him hear. What he's saying is that, you know, it's all about how you receive. It's all about the soil of your heart. The seed is the same. Matthew 13, a little bit later, verses 15 through 17, it says, For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their, their ears are hard of hearing, and their, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I see that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Now, Jesus said, it's all about how we hear, putting ourselves in a place where we can receive from God. You know, I've sat in my 43 years of salvation, I've sat through a lot of church services. I've sat through a lot of revivals. I've sat through a lot of Bible conferences. Not every sermon was a barn burner, okay? Not every sermon you know, was just something where I just hung on every word. But I can honestly say that in most messages, there was a phrase. There was a scripture. There was a quote that God would take and say, that's for you. That's it. And I've, I've left conferences, heard, heard one quote, and said, that was worth a conference right there. 
And so what I'm saying tonight is not that we come and we hang on, okay, I don't want to miss one word, don't want to miss one sentence, you know. But I'm talking about putting yourself in a place where you can hear from God. God, I want to hear from you for my life. And when you put yourself in that place, God has a way of like awakening you and showing, this one's for you right here. Pay attention right here. This, this is for you. Isaiah 54 and 5 says, The Lord has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens my morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. That God, the Lord, has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. He said, God, you, you awaken my ear. You, you, you know, turn that thing on in my life. This, this is it. This is for you. This is what I'm saying. God can speak to you. Maybe not every message is going to be like, oh, that was a barn burner. But there's somewhere, maybe in the revival, there's going to be one phrase. There's going to be one scripture that, that God takes that scripture and he just makes it real to you. It's a scripture made alive. It's that rhema scripture that he makes real to you. It can change your life. It can change the whole direction of your life. One scripture, one quote. Obedience is the key. I want to end tonight. Verse 8 of our text, Isaiah is kind of wrapping some of this up. He says, but now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay, and you are potter, and all we are the work of your hand. What he's saying is that, God, we need you to form us and fashion us. God, I want to be pliable in your hands. I want you to make me into what you want me to be. Jeremiah 18, 1 through 4, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise, go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to make. And if you know the story, God says, can I, not, can I do with you as this potter does to the clay? He says, I'm working something in your life. And what about, what about if it gets messed up? Well, it says the vessel was marred in the hand of the potter. Is it faulty clay? It doesn't say the potter is God necessarily. I mean, God's given that image. But, you know, sometimes things get messed up. But it says, it says the, the vessel was marred in the hand of the potter, but he, he began to go right to work fashioning it into another vessel. God doesn't stop. Oh, that's it. Time to clock out. Go home. Pick it up again tomorrow. Another thing is that instead of crying out against God and complaining about who we are, where we are, how we are, how about placing our lives in God's hands? Letting him speak to us and letting him fashion us into what he wants us to be. Isaiah 29, 14 through 16, Therefore, behold, I will again do a marvelous work among this people, a marvelous work and a wonder, for the wisdom of the wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hidden. Woe to those who seek deep to hide their counsel far from the Lord, and their works are in the dark. They say, Who sees us and who knows us? Surely you have things turned around. Shall the potter be esteemed as the clay? For shall the thing made say of him who made it, he did not make me? Or shall the thing formed say of him who formed it, he has no understanding? 
It's like we're telling God, we want to be the potter. We want God to be our clay. Okay, God, this is what I want you to do. I'm going to form and fashion exactly what, I'm, what I want my life to be, and I want you to cast this in your oven. God says, you know what? Why don't you let me form and fashion you? But isn't that what we do sometimes? He says, for shall the thing made say of him who made it, he did not make me. That's what atheists say. God didn't create man. We just evolved. It was the Big Bang. You know, this ooze and stuff just exploded. Then galaxy, here we are. Walmarts and Costco's and computers and, you know, just uh, years down the road. Just took a lot of time to make it happen, but you know what happened? It says, shall the thing form say of him who formed it? He has no understanding. God, you don't know what you're doing. Oh, okay, well, you know, maybe you could counsel me and let me know what I need to do. See, sometimes we basically say, we won't say those words to God. And many times we'll say, God, you don't know what you're doing. How come, how come you don't see my situation here? God says, how about letting me be the potter, you be the clay? I know exactly what I'm doing. The importance of childlike faith. Matthew 19, 13 through 15. It says, Then little children were brought to Jesus that he might put his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed from there. There's something about children that receive the things of God. They're, they're open hearts. They're, they're just teachable. They're vulnerable. They're tender-hearted. Yeah, I know that youngster years gives you a hard time, but, you know, really the, the, the Spirit of God can penetrate a child's heart so easily. And the disciples are rebuking these children. Hey, get away from here. This is serious adult business right here. Jesus rebuked them. He said, let them come to me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. You know, one example we have is the child Samuel. Remember his mother Hannah prayed for him. And she said, if you give me this child, I'll give him to the Lord. And I think he was, what, three years old when she dropped him off to, to Eli? Or he, was, he wasn't very old. Anyway, better, better check that Bible scholar. But uh, uh, anyway, he's very young when his mother gave him to, gave him to Eli. And so she, she, she makes true on her, her, makes good her commitment. And so Samuel is with Eli. And in 1 Samuel 3, 8 through 10, it says, The Lord called Samuel again the third time. He's eight years old, I think, at this time. So he rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you did call me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lay down, and it shall be, if he calls you, that you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood and called at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, speak for your servant hears. So he's just a young boy. And, you know, he's, he's, he keeps hearing this voice, Samuel. Oh, it must be Eli talking to me. See, sometimes we get confused. We hear the pastor preaching. Yeah, it's just pastor trying to, you know, trick me into doing what, I'm, you know, what he wants me to do. No, sometimes God's, God's speaking. It's not, it's not the pastor. It's God trying to get a hold of your life. Now, 
That's why it's so critical for you to hear from God. A lot of the counseling I'll do is I'll say, well, you got this option, you got that option. What you really need to do is pray and get a hold of God and see what God wants you to do. Well, that's not, that's not what I wanted to hear. And what I want you to hear is, Pastor, you tell me what I need to do. I'll give you some options, but you need to pray and you need to hear from God. That puts it back on us, huh? Takes me off the hook, too, so. No, but I mean that in a good way because that's the pastor I had is I would come to him with difficult problems. He said, well, you got this, and you got this, and you got this. You know, he would help me see the problem clearly. He'd say, you just need to pray and get a hold of God and see what God tells you to do. Okay, Pastor, I thought, you know, you're going to map it all out for me. Nope. Need to get a hold of God. Proverbs 15, 23, final scripture. A man has joy by the answer of his mouth and a word spoken in due season, how good it is. As I said before, one word, one sentence, one quote can change your life. And you being in a position to receive that is critical. And so as we enter this revival, just come with a heart that says, God, I need you to speak what you want to speak to me. I need you to form me into what you want me to be. And God will be faithful to do that. Verse 4 of our text says, For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God beside you, who acts for the one who waits for him. It says that God acts, God does things for the one who is waiting for him the one who's anticipating, who's waiting for God to speak to them, waiting for God to minister to them, waiting to hear a word, says that God will act for that person. And I believe that there's many people here tonight, myself included, I'm coming in this revival, God, I need you to speak to me. I need to hear from heaven. I'm not coming, oh, I'm the pastor, so I can just, uh, you know, I can just kind of chill out in the back. No, I'm coming, I need to hear from God. Amen, let's bow our heads. Appreciate your open hearts and patience tonight. Before we go any further, I want to kind of say something I said earlier. Where the Bible says, Call upon him while he may be found. Seek him while he is near. The other scriptures that point to that thought in that today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. The scripture is very clear over and over again. You know, when God is dealing with you, respond to him. Because God is granting you repentance. He's granting you a heart to turn to him. When you're under conviction, he's granting you repentance. He's giving you that ability to change the trajectory of your life. There came a place in my life where God began to deal with me and speak to me, not in an audible voice, but I remember 
right before I got saved, that God spoke to me and just said, you know what? If you don't change things, you're going to die. If you don't do something to interrupt the trajectory of your life, you are not going to make it. I was only, I was in my early 20s. Made a mess of my life through drug addiction, insane living. But I've heard that voice. It wasn't an audible voice, but it said, you know, I need to do something. I can't continue on like this. I began to go to church, began to read my Bible, began to seek God. God honored that I wasn't, for a long time, really wasn't perfect, but I began to listen to what God was trying to say to me. And there came a point where I bowed my knee at an altar, gave my life to Jesus Christ. I got up from that altar. I've shared this many times, but I felt a, heard a, not an audible voice, but something in my spirit said, the things that used to defeat you are no longer going to defeat you. All of my addictions that I could never give up, clean up for a little while and always fall back in, always fall back in, this in, endless vicious cycle of sin. God says, you don't have to live that way. It took a while for me to come out of that. And I tell you, I wasn't a perfect convert. Many of you know my testimony. But I understood something, that my life, the, the trajectory of my life, the path of my life had changed when I bowed my knee to Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here tonight. You don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Perhaps you're here tonight and you're backslidden in your heart. And you need a changed life. God is calling to you tonight. He's granting you repentance tonight. He's granting you that, that ability to hear his word. And it says, while he's near, call upon him. Seek him while he may be found. If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. If that's you tonight, you want to respond to God. You're not right with God, but you want to get right with God before you leave this place tonight. Slip up your hand, put it right back down. God will help you if you'll be honest before God. God will move in your life. God sees that hand, young man. Anybody else? Be honest before God. God wants to move in you. God wants to help you. He just wants you to be honest. He wants you to cry out to him tonight. Slip up your hand. Put it right back down. Christian tonight, <clears throat> I really felt I, was, I had another message I kind of had planned. I'd been studying for, but I just felt as we were approaching revival, what a difference revival makes when we go into a prepared we say, God, I want to come in this revival. I want you to speak to me. I want you to help me. I want, I have my own agenda. I have my own, you know, way I'd like you to fashion me. That's, that's all of us. But God, I want to come and I want you to be the potter. And I want to be the clay. I want you to work in me whatever you want to work in me. I want you to speak to me. Whatever you want to speak to me, because I know you have the ultimate good of my life. You, you have good things, amen, prepared for me. You have unexpected things, you know, tremendous things, even as you promised in your word, that, that I haven't even thought of, that I couldn't think of, that eye has not seen nor ear heard. God, I know you have things for me, but I want to put myself in a place where I can receive what you want to do in my life. And I believe if we'll do that, then God will really help us. God will really move in us. God will bring breakthroughs that we've been looking for him to do. And he'll do the unexpected. He'll blow your mind. He'll do something you hadn't anticipated. But it all begins with an open heart, having an ear to hear what he wants to speak. Amen. Let's stand this evening. These altars are open. If you'd like to come and pray.